0: I remember being engaged to Janine. I was 20 years old when we got engaged. And uh, it was nine months of waiting. There was something kind of exciting about the anticipation. You know, the idea of being in the same place for the rest of our lives together was thrilling and painful in sort of waiting because I was for most of that time in Ames, Iowa, and Janine was here in Madison. But the idea of engagement and that period of waiting for that moment when you can actually be together is something that we've seen in human desire to be with God in some sort of... Tangible, even material way uh, that longing for union with God. So, Abraham has this experience. These three guys uh, come, and the passage in Genesis says, uh, The Lord visited Abraham. And three guys oh, Trinitarians love that passage because okay, there are three guys, and like uh, there's something about Father, Son, Holy Spirit in three men says the the lord came to visit with abraham came to speak to abraham and then it says three men came and and ate with him then his grandkid jacob wrestles with god and i love that intimacy of you know god could have pinned jacob pretty easily but allows this sort of intimacy of being together and wrestling and the, and the picture of God and human coming together is Jacob. Moses, of course, spoke to God face to face like a friend. Um, and Moses appeals like, we cannot move on without your presence. You know, Something that represents you in the midst of us, pillar of fire, cloud, yeah, whatever. We need you to be with us in some tangible way. Better is one day in your courts. You know, that Psalm 84 expresses, My soul longs, even faints for the courts of the Lord. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're ever praising you. And David, you know, giving his cry, uh, My soul thirsts for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Psalm 42. So there are these pictures of the human longing like I had when can this take place this coming together this living in the same place Um, genesis interesting isn't it the sound of the lord walking in the garden freaks out the first people and however you take the book of genesis in terms of the form of literature and what it tells us there was a Material or a substantial way in which God and humans were together in harmony in beauty in uh, the garden of Eden, and this Old Testament professor, this Hebrew professor, uh, Walter C. Kaiser Jr, he has summarized uh, the entire Hebrew scriptures with this idea of promise throughout each of the books there is promise so um the way he he distills this is the promise is i'll be your god you'll be my people and i'll dwell in your midst you can find something of one of those or all of those in these promises that god has made this covenant this testament i'm gonna be with you you'll be mine i'll be yours and we'll live together um cohabitation God's dream is really for cohabitation God as much as I I can identify I felt like God as I was thinking about engagement God's saying now you know how I feel you were thinking about the excitement and mystery and anticipation of being together for the rest of your lives and how um, desirous and waiting and like longing for that, like now you know how I feel. God's dream is to live with us, as expressed in that promise. You know, and you know, there's a picture of it in in Genesis, and then in Revelation. Uh, Look, the dwelling place of God is with people. That's the big. That's the punchline of Revelation. <laughs> like, that's the punchline of history. Look. Now the wedding's come, no more waiting. God and people get to live together in a material, substantial, intimate way. So yeah, that's, that's like what we're headed for. So in, in approaching Advent, in approaching Christmas, this idea of god becoming flesh the the incarnation we're reenacting in some ways the 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 birth of christ is a reenactment of eden and a foreshadowing of revelation it's like oh yeah this is what it was like when god pitched his tent among the people and this is what it's going to be like in the end in revelation Uh, I have a friend who says, and I think this is substantially true, the church is obsessed with answering questions nobody is asking. And so I do want to spend some time doing that because it's our history. So theologically, (laughs) the incarnation, the the meaning of the incarnation, uh, you know, carne, for those of you who speak Spanish flesh, like the enfleshment the enfleshment of God among people. That's the incarnation. Um, The theological importance of that is stated in the Nicene Creed, so the part of the Nicene Creed that is, is central to that says this. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, only begotten of the Father, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father through whom all things were made. Thousands of years we've been saying that, and it was important for them to get that uh, worked out. You know, there were the heresies, you know, what's the nature of Christ? Two natures, one nature, that kind of thing. So... uh Let's 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 put it down and have people memorize it. Of course, it's substantially based in John one. Uh, Aggie read some of that, but here's what John one one through four and then fourteen say. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that's been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the theological importance of God becoming flesh is probably best described uh, by Paul in Colossians 1. So we know... Christ in God made all things. Uh, Christ was begotten of God, not created as part of creation. And in Colossians 1, Paul says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The reconciliation of all things, the cosmic reconciliation was related to this um, reality that God had enfleshed God's self in the person of Jesus. The theological importance was the breaking of the curse, you know, And, and there are other theologians who talk about, oh, why was it that God had to become flesh in order for this curse to be broken? I like how C.S. Lewis puts it in uh, The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. It's like, uh, the witch knew the deep magic. Deep magic said, yeah, someone uh, who hadn't done anything wrong could offer themselves to redeem a traitor. But there was a magic deeper still. Like, there's just some mystery about, I don't know. The cosmic curse would be broken, and the witch didn't know that deeper magic. She knew, okay, there'd be this reconciliation, yeah, you could sacrifice yourself. I love that part. Oh, but in sacrificing yourself, the cosmic curse is broken. Winter ends. That's the deep magic. That's why God incarnated God's self in the person of Jesus in order to break the cosmic curse. So, church loves answering questions nobody's asking. That may be one of them, but it's important. And uh, if I'm going to preach on the incarnation, you've got to talk about why that happened. God was undoing this terrible, terrible curse in becoming flesh and breaking the curse and redeeming the human race and all of creation. Yes, all dogs do go to heaven. My native friend says, uh, you know, "For God so loved the cosmos," is what it says in the Greek. That's John three sixteen. God redeemed the cosmos, including all created things, in this amazing act of incarnation. Peace vertically with the Creator. Peace horizontally, the dividing walls peace with the earth like that's the that's the theological meaning of the Incarnation but there there's also a beauty in the picture of God becoming human that's hard to avoid when you're talking about the Incarnation. Have you ever run into someone famous you know Oprah in the mall that kind of thing I did once on a plane, I've mentioned this before, but I sat next to a guy who was part of a 60s rock group known as the Turtles. Uh, so Happy Together is the sort of song that you will remember from the Turtles. Yes, we, I, I think Lori Crosdale has led us in that song here in church as a sort of sacred expression of being so happy together with God. So I sat next to this guy and we start talking. Oh, I teach music at uh, Loyola Marymount, which is a school in California. I was flying from Los Angeles to Detroit. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. And well, yeah, and I play too. Oh, amazing. Uh, like, how many concerts do you give or how many people would you play to? Oh, I play to, I think he said. Um, you know, a few hundred thousand people a year. <laughs> what? Really? How, tell me more. So, yeah, I was, you know, I helped to start the Turtles with a Rock Group, and so we're on this, uh, the two guys, Flo and Eddie. Uh, we're on a sort of, you know, reunion tour and playing to a bunch of old people, probably. You know, the corporation invites the Turtles to come and play. And so here's this guy. And he told me how, at 18 years old, uh, becoming famous at that age messed with him. Like, I am on Dick Clark's tour of the stars or whatever, on this bus, and hanging out with people like the Beatles. And at 18, you know, it just messes with you. And it really inflated my ego, really twisted my ego. It was interesting. So the flight from detroit or from la to detroit's like you know 3 hours by the end of the flight i realized oh wait we've been talking for 3 hours only about you you haven't asked one question about me it really did mess with your ego i didn't say that but like i experienced it we have a desire to be known and loved and Famous or powerful or rich, pick one of those. Probably you'll find your ego hungering after those things. God could have become human in a variety of circumstances or ways, you know. We've got this ascent quest that a lot of us feel. Uh, God's descent into human flesh was just such the opposite of our gravitational pull to become somebody, to become famous, this ego feeding thing that so messes with us. But you know, God might have come fully formed as a human being and probably could have proved um, that they were creator, that this person, that God in flesh is in, is creator. All you had to do was, like, suspend gravity for a few seconds in front of the right people, you know. Hey, Jesus, put us down. What's happening, you know? I I have uh, authority over all laws of nature. Boom, you prove it, and all of a sudden, you are recognized as creator. Could have done that. If you're going to be born as a baby like there are a variety of places I would choose uh, at that time probably the Qin dynasty in China because you recognize instantly as the Lord of heaven that's what the, you would have been called born into that household Caesar's household of course you would have been recognized as God you know if you had to choose the Jewish nation how about Herod's household or the high priest like of all the places, of all the ways in which God might have made God's self enfleshed, it's odd that God would choose an unwed teenager to become, you know, to go inside the womb of a teenager who wasn't married in this obscure backwater town in a community that was oppressed by the empire. How interesting. I mean, hostile takeover of the planet would be an option. Uh, Alexander the Great basically did it a few hundred years before. As a young man, like, kind of took over much of the world. You know, a legion or two of angels, I think you got this thing. But Christ born Um, through the agency of the Holy Spirit's union with an unmarried girl. What is that? God's character is revealed in the incarnation. That's something we can't miss during this season. The, The Hindu religion has a number of times in which the incarnation of Vishnu happened, always with a rich family, always among the Brahmins, God's choice in Mary and Joseph and Nazareth, Bethlehem and then Nazareth, you know, refugees in Egypt. What do we learn about God's desire? It uh, wasn't the shepherd, or wasn't the magi who were the first. The shepherds actually got the first glimpse of, you know, besides Mary and Joseph, that something had happened. God choosing shepherds. God choosing Mary and Joseph. The, the biggest statement God could ever make about centering the poor and marginalized was being born as one of them. If God ever made a statement about God's affection for those on the margins, it's, it's when God chose to be born as one of them. The character of God's revealed in the Incarnation and we see Jesus, you know, preferring the economically marginalized, the religiously marginalized. Jesus did not hang out with purity culture folk, the the Pharisees. He did, and there I think there was an affection for the Pharisees. In fact, I could probably conjure up an argument that Jesus was uh, tutored in the school of the Pharisees. So there was a sense of, but in terms of his reputation, it was not purity culture. It was not the wealthy, um, and it was not the sort of politically powerful. The, the person of Christ, the, the God in human flesh, hung out with uh, the religiously marginalized, think of the Samaritan, think of the uh, sex workers, uh, the, the politically marginalized. One of his disciples was a radical leftist, Uh, revolutionary, and one was an uh, ultra-conservative, empire-loving tax collector, you know, sellout to the establishment. So politically marginalized, economically marginalized, religiously marginalized, God is drawn to become flesh in unlikely places. You cannot be too sinful, too poor, too radically left or right for God to make God's self-flesh among you, God's attraction to the margins. I'm not saying that those who are marginalized are automatically closer to God or those who are rich and powerful are automatically further away. I'm just saying ego messes with us in terms of our ability to get close. There are some extra things to overcome when your ego is fed by your fame, by your wealth, by your power, by your being central or mainstream or whatever, there's something that happens that makes it just a little more challenging to draw near to the God who draws near to the margins. God centers the margins in the incarnation. And for those who are not close to the margins, myself included, there are extra steps required by us to draw near to a God draws near to the margins and the guy from the turtles has an even harder time than I do. And Those who have uh, wealth or fame or are recognized or are powerful in some way, there's just some extra ways in which the Incarnation teaches us that tends not to be where God hangs out. God chose Mary And God chose Nazareth, and God chose a time in which the nation in which God was born was at its nadir, at its lowest point, or one of them. Uh, The Jewish people have sadly experienced lots of those through history. This was one of those. But if we learn about God's descent in the incarnation, we also learn about Uh, the elevation of the human person in God becoming flesh. St. Francis in 1223 um, introduced the first nativity scene, a physical scene, brought some animals into a cave, invited the people of Greccio in Italy to come and experience what it must have been like for God to become flesh, Francis wanted that dank cave and the you know, smell of animals. He wanted a visceral, embodied experience. The very first crash, the very first nativity scene is attributed to St. Francis. Because the people of Greccio needed to feel that God wants to be among them. And there's a way in which God is like us in the sense that God made man and woman in God's image, the lifting up of humanity, a reminder in the incarnation. Actually, God became like us, but really God made us like God. And so, you know, not only does God identify with us in Jesus, but we actually identify now with God. And Francis called Jesus, Friar Jesus, Brother Jesus, Brotherhood of Christ, like the... It, it, you know, the the picture Jesus gives us and that carries over in the New Testament isn't so much uh, the union of creator with the created being, but it's the bride and the bridegroom. That's the picture. Maybe that's why I felt God saying, now you know what it feels like to be engaged and to be waiting. We waited nine months, which seemed like an uh, ungodly period of time when you're you know, making this plan, but it was right, like, okay, yeah, it'd be great to get married in March and April when the engagement happened, but no, we want to do, we want to make ready a big celebration, and that's going to take time, and Janine's, you know, got to apply for jobs, so she was finishing her senior year in college, I was in my junior year, and so, yeah, you've got to get a step, so it's like, no, it's right to wait, but it's hard to wait, and God's saying... I so want to be with you, and the picture I want to give you is a bride and bridegroom. Not only God becoming flesh, but it's a reminder that we're made in God's image, that Christ is brother to us in the incarnation. That's beautiful, too. So, what's the incarnation teach us? One, um, God's dream is living with us in a material way, in in a way that's different than God living with us through God's Spirit. God wants to be with us. That's what we're reminded of in the Incarnation. Incarnation is this um, reminder of Eden and foretaste of Revelation. Um, That Jesus becoming flesh somehow affected through the deeper magic that the witch did not know about the breaking of a cosmic curse. The incarnation was required to break the cosmic curse. That's worth celebrating. The incarnation teaches us that God is drawn to the margins, the lowly, the excluded, and that God esteems us. Reminding us, I made you in my image, I became Christ your brother. I'm also creator, I'm also spirit, but I'm, I'm Christ your brother. Um, so, what's this mean for us if, if we're not going to be solely about answering questions nobody is asking? Uh, substantially or practically, what does it mean for us to embrace the Incarnation in this season of Advent. One of those things is listening afresh to Jesus' call, challenge, commission to his disciples. In the way that God sent me, I'm sending you. You think about the Incarnation and how God sent me. This is in... John, I think chapter twenty. I'm gonna. I want to send you the same way that God sent me. I want you to become in I want you to become real to those that I'm sending you to. You guys ever read the Velveteen Rabbit? Maybe a long time ago. There's a sort of classic section of the Velveteen Rabbit that I just reminded of. Some of you've heard it multiple times, but Velveteen Rabbit, 1920s uh, book is a gift to a little boy at Christmas time Uh, but he has all these other cool toys that, you know, are back in the 20s. Oh, you got something that, you know, a rector set or something but like the Velveteen Rabbit gets cast aside and sort of about this Velveteen Rabbit's quest to become real, quest to become real to this boy and so this exchange with the skin horse which was given to the boy's uncle years before and all is you know he had become quite worn and that the horse was the kind of wizened toy amongst the community of toys and there's this famous exchange that i hadn't read for years and i thought oh no this fits in in a picture of jesus's challenge as the father sent me So send I you. Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you're real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily, or have sharp edges, or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you're real, you can't be ugly, except people who don't understand. I love that. Um, Marjorie Williams Bianco, uh, Velveteen Rabbit. You wanna find out what happens to the Velveteen Rabbit? Does the Velveteen <laughs> Rabbit become real? You gotta read the book. not getting <laughs> no spoilers here. So send I you. I want you to become real. Just as I became real. Go to the velveteen rabbit, or the skin horse in this case, to find out what that. What does that mean to become real to the people around me. Does it hurt? Yeah, kind of. It does. Does it happen all at once? No. By the time you do it, uh, you're pretty shabby. But that's what I'm calling you to. <laughs> to. To be loved by becoming real to those around you. That's the invitation of the incarnation at Advent, as we're approaching this monumentous moment on Christmas, our becoming real is a sign of the kingdom. We become real uh, in love and in action, but also in words. Jesus also used words, and I appreciate this sort of saying that's attributed to Francis it has been attributed to others. I don't know that we really know. You know, preach the gospel at all times and uh, on occasion use words or if necessary use words. You know, Jesus called the word, there are words too. There's this idea of conveying to people both in our bodies and in our love as well as in our words, the kingdom is coming. This is what it's like. This is what I've learned about it through this relationship, both in word and in deed and in power. We are to become real to those around us. For those of you who um, feel some kind of distance to God, maybe maybe you haven't said yes to the engagement proposal yet. There's been a proposal, will you marry me? you haven't yet said yes to God, I think this Christmas is a great time to say yes if you haven't yet. And if you want to do that, my recommendation is go to someone that you know has said yes and talk with them about, I I don't think I have accepted the proposal. You know, any kind of engagement deserves some celebration, deserves someone else knowing. (laughs) Go to someone who said yes. For me, it was acknowledging uh, it was like 12-step program, you know. I am powerless to do this, and I recognize my powerlessness, my tendency toward ego or toward things that drive me far from God. I'm really sorry about that. I can't do this. I need help. Jesus, will you come? So that was also about the time that I said yes to Janine. Just a couple years before, I'd said yes to being married to God. Recognition of your own faults. Repentance seems to be part of this engagement process. I adjure you, if you haven't accepted the marriage proposal, do it. Talk to someone who has. Celebrate together. Invite them to share a bit about what that was like for them. And then you enter into that engagement. Take pictures. You know, have an engagement party. Um, Testify to that. One of our, you know... Testimony Sundays. Let's step in this year to Advent and Christmas, appreciating the incarnation in fresh ways. Let me pray for us, and then I've got some announcements. God, thanks for inviting this union I can't believe you really want to live with us. You really want to be married to us. You really want a life together. And as baffling as it is, I say, yeah, me too. And in the space between this engagement and the wedding, would you make us good preparers for that day? internally and externally. The kingdom is drawing near. Of the increase of Christ's government and peace, there'll be no end. And it began, we want to continue it until that day when the wedding supper arrives. Make us active agents of your kingdom. book of Revelation also says, the bride made herself ready. What's that look like for us to make ourselves ready? The marriage supper of the Lamb has begun and the bride has made herself ready. We make ourselves ready. I'm sure with your help, the help of the Spirit, help us to make ourselves ready. Teach us to long for and imagine this union And use this season to fire us up once again to be married to you. Thank you for becoming flesh. Teach us to become real to those around us. Amen.